0: Well, it's good to be with you today, as we're able to worship God. Um, we're in a series called Deeper. I, I'm going to invite you to join to Acts chapter four to join with me in going to Acts chapter four. Right after the Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, John—you um, can go there and find it. And uh, absolutely amazing book written by Luke, recorded by him um, in my Bible, page nine twelve. Um, so go to yours if you got your iPhone or anything else. Uh, go ahead and find Acts chapter 4, and it'll be an amazing opportunity for us to dive into this. One of the, the wonderful parts of this scripture is that it's helping us to understand what the, the church should really be, what it should look like, what it should feel like, everything else. And uh, recently I was in a meeting with a bunch of other pastors right here, on I think it was Tuesday, here at Chapel Point, about a dozen of us sitting over here in the hub, and they said, what's, what's the struggle of churches today? Why are they struggling? And... Um, And one of the things that I said was, I think they're so busy replicating other churches that they've stopped trying to reflect Jesus. I think they're so busy trying to replicate other churches that they stopped trying to reflect Jesus. And one of the things that we're going to see in this passage of scripture today is we're going to see a church that is striving to reflect Jesus. And that's what they're really wanting to do. Um, And they, as a result of that, they just shared in magnificent ways the word of God. Um, I know that we live in Michigan, and Detroit's not too far away, but I want to tell you a quick story about Mercedes-Benz. That's so good. I was waiting for booze or something like that, so that was, thank you. Um, The uh, Mercedes-Benz was the first company that actually designed a car frame that wasn't only intended to be strong, to resist um, another car hitting it, but was built to absorb that energy that was taken by the force of something else coming and colliding with it. Um, and so it was the very first company that was able to do this. And they, you, when they first did it, you could see it. They had commercials and everything else of how it would collide into a wall and absorb the energy, that type of thing. And since then, a lot of other companies, of course, have followed its design. And someone asked them, they're like, Um, Why aren't you enforcing the patent that you have with other car companies that are using the same or similar design? And uh, the response of the engineer was because, he says this, he says, Because some things are too important not to share. Some things are too important not to share. That's what you're also going to discover today. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is too important not to share. And sometimes we're so protective with our faith. We're so cautious. We're so guarded with it. And what we find in Acts chapter 4, but throughout the book of Acts, with the, early Testament, or the New Testament church, the early church, all of a sudden they are sharing Christ at all costs because they knew it was too important not to share they knew it was too important not to share. And it's what the very first believers, this is what they believed to be truth. And they were even warned and they were threatened. They were thrown in prison. That's what just had happened. In Acts chapter 3, they give you a very quick summary. Uh, in Acts chapter 3, uh, and this was a couple of weeks ago and last week as well, you have this beggar who is lame. And he had been there for 40 years. We find that out. He's there at the, the gate called Beautiful. And they heal him. And everybody knew this guy, right? We named him Frank. Everybody knew who Frank was, um, and so they—nobody could deny. Man, this guy's been healed. This guy's—there's been this mighty miracle of God acting out in his own life. Nobody could deny that. Nobody could oppose that. And so what they did is they arrested Peter and John, and they brought them in and said, "Listen, you got to stop talking about Jesus." You can't keep doing this. So, you know, they they arrest him. And, uh, of course, you know that after they arrested them, um, as they're, like, being hauled off, 2,000 people come to know Christ right there. Like, okay, we know they're being taken to prison, but I believe. Isn't that cool? Right? I believe. And they're they're following um, the Lord. And so they're taken to prison, and they just start receiving all of these threats Over and over and over and over and over again, all of these threats were being thrown at them and telling them, listen, no longer are you to speak on behalf of Jesus Christ. They're asking themselves in chapter four. It says, what should we do with these guys? Right? What are are we going to do with them? We know that this guy has been healed. We can't deny it. This is verse 16 and now 17. But he says, but in order that that it may spread no further among the people, meaning the story of this guy coming to know Christ, but also the message of Jesus. In order for it to spread no further, we're going to warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called him and they charged them, don't speak, don't teach at all in the name of Jesus Christ. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, but we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. And when they had further threatened them, this is verse 21, Acts chapter 4, verse 21. It says, when they had further threatened them, right, they threatened them. Stop doing this or else. I don't know about in your house, but in my house when there's a threat, um, you know, it's like, or else. There's always an or else. If you do that again, right, if you body slam your sibling again, right, you will lose an arm or else, Right? Like you have to have an or else there. If you, if you keep uh, misbehaving, listen, if you, if you don't show respect toward your mother, then you're going to lose all electronics for the rest of the week, and you're going to go to your room. That's a realistic approach, right? You have to have an or, an or else. And so here they are, and they're threatening them to no longer speak. <laughs> well, what they found out very quickly is that it would not work. They were warned, they were threatened, they were thrown in prison. But they responded in a powerful way. Maybe another way to think about how we're going to be able to absorb today's message is this. How are you currently responding? How are you currently responding to God's impact on your life? How are you currently responding to God's impact on your life? Right, According to the, the impact that God's had on your life, it often dictates what you are then going to go and do as a result of that. If it hasn't had much impact, if there hasn't really been much change, you probably don't do much with it. But if there's been a lot of impact, a lot of change in your life because of what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, then often what follows is a greater response to that. What type of impact has God had on your life? I know that I've been through stages. I grew up, I was blessed to grow up in a Christian home, right? But um, I know that there's been several aha moments that I've had. One was when um, I was 16, another when I was 19, um, and another when I was, 20. I was 20. I had just graduated college when I was 20 years old, and all of a sudden, um, God just hit me hard. You know, we talk about how he takes a brick and ties it to the end of a, a, a two-by-four and hits you with it. He took nails, glued it to the brick, and then tied the brick to the end of the two-by-four and hit me with it. Like, it was hardcore. I literally, I just felt the presence of God, Holy Spirit, fall on me. He says, there is so much more for you in life than what you are chasing now. Like, I knew that that was the voice of God And it had enormous impact on my life. It started to change all the decisions. So I had already agreed to go work for a company named Nabisco, Cookie Company, hoorah. And so I was going to go work for them, but instead, all of a sudden, I shifted focus and I went to seminary instead. Everything started to shift for me because God had such an enormous impact on my life. What type of impact are you having? Because when we look at the early testament church, we discover a bunch of people who knew Jesus in such a significant way. And it had great impact on their life. In fact, that's something I think we we need to understand. Because we know that they were being threatened. They had a lot of resistance toward them and their faith. A lot of resistance. Something that we don't process and understand here in this country today. Not yet, at least. They had so much resistance toward their faith. But how we absorb and process resistance, all right? Listen to this very closely. How we absorb and how we process resistance is determined by how we think of ourselves and who we believe God to be. It's good for us. I think you'll even be able to see possibly a note that comes up. It says all those things for you because they had the proper view of who God was. When you have the proper view of who God is, it changes how you look at everything else. It changes the way you look at everything else. I believe that we are here to serve God. I believe that we are here to give Him honor. I believe that we are here to be faithful to who He is through His Son, Jesus Christ. I do not believe that God has come and said, you know what, anything you want goes, I just want to make you happy. Because fact of the matter is, I trust God more than I trust myself, and I trust that God knows what is best for me more so than I know for myself. And they had the proper view of God. One of the reasons we saw people with so much conviction and so much boldness is because they had the proper view of who God is. And so when, in verse 21 it tells us, when they had further threatened them, they let them go because they could find no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. They're in prison. Everybody's praising God. The religious leaders couldn't find anything else to do with them, so they threatened them and let them go. And so from that point when they're let go, they go to the house where everybody was worshiping and everybody was praising God. And it says they were released, verse 23 and following. And you can find this here for us. It says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. He's speaking about Jesus here, okay? For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. I want to st- leave this passage up there if you would but this is what's happening. He's calling out them and he says listen this is what has, has happened because God allowed it to happen. All the kings of the earth, not the one true king, not the one true lord but all the kings of the earth have constantly come together and rejected rejected the Lord, rejected his anointed one, even Herod and Pontius Pilate recently, they did that very thing. They would have been calling out these words, and they would have been like, that, was just, that wasn't long ago. That wasn't long ago at all. They denied him, and then everybody was gathered together in Jerusalem because why? It was Passover, and it's one of those four times every year everybody came back to Jerusalem, and everybody's calling out, crucify Jesus. They, they say, crucify him, crucify him, over and over. Yeah, that's, they just this all just happened, and so he's calling this out. And their response, this is is phenomenal to me. They have all of this hardship, all this difficulty. They have all of these different things coming and falling down around them in their own life. Maybe you feel like that yourself. Where you're like, I can't take anymore. I've been in those places before. A couple of years ago, things were just in my life. Just seemed to be so difficult in all different components. Right? It's one thing if someone's struggling in your family. It's another thing if work isn't going well. It's another thing if you're struggling with some other stuff that's going on. And I remember I sat on this stage. This middle of the night. It's the joy of having a key, and I had to just make sure the alarm wasn't set yet. And I, I literally, I was laying on the ground, probably about right here, and I'm hitting the floor and saying, God. I can't go anymore. I'm done. Anybody else felt that way before? And here are the people of God. And they're being threatened. They're being persecuted. They're being thrown in prison and everything else. And this is what we find. Now, Lord, verse 28, 29, and 30. It says, now Lord, consider their threats. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That's verse 29. My words laying on the stage right here. God, please make it stop. The words found in Scripture God, give us your boldness in the midst of being threatened. What a difference. What a difference. We often pray for God to remove the difficulties. When we know that it's often through the difficulties that we can be the greatest reflection of Jesus. So should we not be praying that God gives us strength in the midst of the difficulties rather than to remove the difficulties? I know that's not always comforting. But I see the errors in some of my prayers that night. They just continually faced resistance. In fact, that's something that we've got to recognize. This is how the church faced this resistance, this this opposition over and over. When facing resistance, this is how the church responded. I'm going to give you a few things just very, very quickly here today. When facing resistance, here's how the church responded. One, they refused to be intimidated. That's one of the first things that we learn. Right, they didn't, they didn't fold and go, well, you know, you guys are bigger than we are. They refused to be intimidated. They didn't let their threats, they didn't let their power play determine how they would walk forward in their faith in Jesus Christ. And some of you are going, well, I don't have the whole government coming down on me or the religious leaders. But maybe you have your family, right? Holidays are coming. I think Pastor Nathan said holidays are coming. Oh, my goodness. And and, and they are, right? They're coming so quickly. And some of you are going, it's going to be Thanksgiving, and I have to spend time with my in-laws. And you dread it. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you. But you dread it. Did you know there's more people who look forward to the holidays now being over than getting to them? Wow. I think that would completely change if you remove all family members. Right? Because it's hard because there's different people of belief and you want to pray and then someone says, no, you can't pray. I don't believe in God. And you go, no, I just want to pray. And then you don't want to have those conversations. You don't ever talk about religion. You don't ever talk about politics. Listen, I can't help. These are the people who can't help but speak about Jesus, and they refuse to be intimidated. It's a matter of how much impact God has had on your life. And God changed everything in my life. Everything. There is nothing of value in my life that is separate from God. They refused to be intimidated, no matter what. Verse 19, it says, they chose to believe, and this is really what it's about. When it says, if you go back to 19, it says, listen, if it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, so be it. But it's not, so we can't help but to speak about who Jesus really is. That's what they're communicating. One of the things, I think one of the reasons... They refused to be intimidated, is because they believed they chose to believe that God knew better than they did. You see, that also impacts your prayer life, by the way. If you really believe that God knows more than you do, you want to pray more because you're calling out to God because you you really do believe He knows more than you. I think that pride is directly associated with how much you pray. Because prayer, part of prayer is a humility factor. Part of prayer is relying upon God. Those who don't pray much assume they already have all the answers. Otherwise, you would be calling out to the creator, yes? And so here they are setting a, a model of what it is to pray. To really call out to God. And so they refuse to be intimidated. Another thing is, they, when, when facing resistance, not only do they refuse to be intimidated, but they raise their voices in prayer. The leaders didn't even have to ask for prayer. They knew that they were being prayed for. One of my kids recently just asked, she goes, uh, this is my oldest daughter who's 11. She goes, dead, honestly. I said, okay, what? What do you want to know? Are you going to tell me the truth? I said, what do you want to know? Because, <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't know she was going to be like, am I your favorite or whatever it else. She, she goes, how much do you really pray for me every day? I said, honestly, somewhere between three and five minutes, every one of you. I just, I just take that as 20 to 25 minutes every day of praying for my four children by name, calling them out. Does that count when you put us down at night and you pray over us? It, it, do you want it to count that? Like I didn't know where this was really going but we she needs to know that i'm going to call out to god in prayer and, and i'm going to ask you the same thing how much time are you really spending calling out to god to use you in your life to reflect him in a mighty powerful way they refused to be intimidated but they also they raised their voices in prayer And you know what that prayer led to? I I can't help, in verse 24, I think it led to that unity. It says, when they all heard it, they lifted their voices together in prayer. Here they are, they get released from prison, they go to their friends, they report what the chief priest and all the elders had said, and so they lift their voices up to God. It's one of the things that prayer does, is it brings people together in unity. Why? Because prayer lies on the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that comes and aligns hearts to move together in the same direction. That's why I tell you all the time, even in in leadership here at the church, we spend so much time in prayer, and even sometimes when something's obvious, we say, no, we're going to wait for the next meeting, just be praying about it. And then all of a sudden, even though we're, we're not on the same page in one meeting, by the time we're making that decision, we're on one page. Why? Because of the power of prayer, the power of Holy Spirit coming and tying hearts together. And the same thing, by the way, can happen in your marriage. Because we know that a lot of people have already given up on their marriage. Some of you sitting here right now, believe it or not, you're waiting for your kids to get out of school so you can get a divorce. And you can live your own life. You're just you're buying your time. You don't, to, you, don't, you don't want to have to pay anything to your spouse anyway, or child alimony or anything else. So You're, just, you're buying your time. I cannot, I'm i begging you to pray for your spouse, that God would bless them and encourage them and would speak to them. Your marriage can change. Your marriage, every marriage in this place is intended to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. Every one of them. So they raised their voices together in prayer. Another thing that they did is they, sp- find, they spoke the gospel boldly after they were threatened and intimidated and thrown in prison, they didn't leave that place and, and act like they were in a library and begin to whisper, no, they spoke boldly who Jesus was and not only who Jesus was, but what God had done in their life. And that's what we need to understand. We need to speak the gospel boldly and I'm not saying it's always going to be received but that's not our responsibility I've got a a, a fun story for you today Uh, Josh would you run up here real quick buddy Um, this is my friend Josh Uh, many of you already know him the uh, I was talking with him this last week and he told me the story and be careful about telling me stories I'm like oh will you tell that Sunday Um, he's like Uh, Okay. Um, So how are you, brother? You all right? Um, So it's a great story about someone speaking their faith boldly. Here's one of these guys along with Jeff Burgett who's sitting over here who's leading this class called Go Boldly. You've got about 24 or 25 people in there on Sunday mornings. And so this is, this fits right along with that because here's a guy who wants to share his faith. Tell us what happened this last week.
1: So I'm I'm at a Papa John's Pizza, which is often one of the places you think about sharing your faith. And um, I'm, Picking up some pizzas for, uh, cu- I had a lunch meeting with some customers. And the customer
0: said, I want Papa
1: John's. I want Papa and so. John's, and yeah. I'm not going to argue. <laughs> <You> go <laughs> That's get what it. you want. Yeah. So I was at the Papa John's, and i um, sitting there waiting. <laughs> These guys were kind of light making my pizzas. And um, I hear them start to talk on the subject of religion. Oh, this this God and this religion and all this kind of stuff. And this guy says, do you believe in such and such religion? And the other guy says, well, I believe in that about as much as I believe in God. And it was Almost like I could see Jesus standing up there going, Are you going to do anything? You're up, bro. You're up, Fuller. So, again, I was late for this meeting. They were late making my pizzas. So I got the pizzas. I went and had lunch with the customer, and I knew exactly what I was going to have to do. I was going to have to go back to Papa John's. Yeah, because you left. Yeah, I left. And and the whole time, he's like, that's fine. You just have to come back. Like, we're not going to. That just
0: makes it a little more
1: awkward, (laughs) by the way. Like a, when you walk ten- back in and you don't have anything to pick up, like, hey, what do you need? It was awkward. So I, yeah. I drive all the way back to Papa John's and I'm praying the whole time, give me courage, give me boldness, give me your word, give me a heart that's empathetic and compassionate, not judgmental. I walk into the Papa John's. That's exactly what happened. They both looked at me like this, probably expecting a complaint. And I said, the pizzas were great, but I, was, I had a question for you. I had, my heart was racing. I had absolutely no idea. Best exercise you've had all week. It was. It was, actually. And um, and so I said, you said when I was here a while ago that you didn't believe in God. And he goes, um, I didn't mean to offend you, sir. And I'm like, I'm not offended. I'm just curious, like, what your story is, how you got to a point where you don't believe in him. And he took steps back from me like this and said, I don't want to talk about that. So I go, okay, well, th- thanks for the pizzas. And I turned around and walked out. So anticlimactic, <laughs> isn't is. it? It is. But they like Papa John's there at that at my customers. So I I have. You're going board. back. Yeah, I'm gonna say next time. Hey, let's have Papa John's. Dude, you again. should
0: take like a hundred of us, and we'll surround the whole building in prayer. Let's, yeah, it would be awesome. That'd be yeah. great. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the reason I wanted to, because I was waiting at the very end. I was like thinking somebody's going to fall on their knees. And like Papa John's just going like to lift up off the ground. And he's going to come to the Lord. And all of a sudden, he's a great preacher in like three days. And he said no. But it was still a victory for that man. Because your responsibility isn't the response of someone else. Your responsibility is to be obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And I think everybody in here probably has someone right now that they know that they need to be sharing with about Jesus. But you really don't want to. Because you're more concerned about their response than you are the thoughts of God. And that has to do, did I mention before what kind of impact has God had on your life? I mean, here they are. They, here's, they refuse to be intimidated. They, they raise, they lift their voices together in prayer. And they spoke the gospel boldly. They weren't looking at their own problem. They were looking at the power of God. What if every time we started seeing difficulties and threats in front of us, and instead of focusing on those problems, we started to dwell on the power of God to overcome them. They were expecting God to move. And as we walk through this passage, it tells us, it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Verse 29 and following. Look upon their threats. Grant to your, your servants To continue to speak your word with all boldness. With all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus... And when they prayed, this was the response of their faith. This was the response of their prayers. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I dream of our high schools, Jenison and Hudsonville, or wherever, Hudsonville Christian, wherever you go, of having students who are so bold in their faith, they don't care the response of their friend nearly as much as they care about being obedient to the Holy Spirit. I pray that for our businesses. I pray that for our churches. I pray that in the places in which we live, that we would have that type of boldness. That's what is being done here. It was so just prevalent. Like if you were a believer then, I think if you walked into their church and you professed faith in Jesus, sharing your faith is a next step in claiming faith in Jesus Christ. Let me make sure that that's heard. For years and years, they said that 3% of believers would share their faith. Not just invite someone to church, but truly share their faith. So 97% of people who claim to know Jesus Christ would never share. Um, they say it's less than that now. So like literally, 1% uh, like or 2% of people will actually sh- share their faith with someone else. But it's because I think it's the value that we place on it. What impact has God had in your life? And I will tell you now that if you truly have allowed God to impact and transform your heart and your life, sharing your faith is simply a next step. Because it is the greatest thing that can happen to you. And so maybe your whole life you've been stuck at step one. And you've never gone to step two. And that's what today, really I want to make sure that you're doing. I want you to get, I want everybody here to take one small step. We all know, I've done this numerous times, and it seems to to resonate within some of us. And here's God over here, and you want to be as close to God as possible, and Satan's way over there. And all Satan is wanting you to do is what? He wants you to just take one small step to him. Whether it be looking at something on the internet that you shouldn't be looking at, or whether it's lying about something in your own life, or to a colleague, or to a spouse, whatever it may be, or maybe it's showing anger in your life that you're not controlling or allowing God to control. And he wants you to take just one small step, because as you take step after step after step, you know what's built? Momentum. And it gets harder and harder to stop it. And you keep going in that direction. Well, today, I'm asking for you to reverse the trend in your life, that you recognize the impact Jesus Christ has had in your life and take one small step toward obedience in God, toward faith in God. One small step in boldness this week. One small step this week in boldness. One small step of faithfulness this week. One small step in repairing a relationship Well, your responsibility really isn't to forgive them. That's up to God. Your responsibility is to love them. And I think that goes deep for a lot of us. Some of us hold on to relationships that have gone wrong. Someone recently said, I I just don't know if I have it in them to forgive them. I'm like, that's not your job. Like, be careful. God forgives, not us. Don't be a judge. Your job is to love them. And if you're not loving, he says, pray for your enemies even. And so today we're asking for you to take one small step. The hunger. We're talking about impact of Jesus in your life, right? The hunger and the love. That the early church, the first church had for Jesus Christ and for others. Was so much greater than any desire they had to protect themselves. The love and the hunger that they had for Jesus and for others was so much greater than any desire that they had to protect themselves. It's because Jesus had such a big impact on their life. I mean, they're watching people be drug off to prison and they're going, I believe. (laughs) How has Jesus impacted your life? Will you this week take one small step One small step, one small step, one small step. Josh, I I can't wait to hear in the future what happens with this guy. Because I've already personally been praying for him. You're going to see him again one day maybe. And you don't know, he may go, hey man, aren't you that guy who asked me about God? And you're going to go, yes, I was, all right? And then you'll puff your chest up a little bit, right? God can mold his heart to be receptive to his greatness, right? One small step. I'm praying that you have one small step in you this week. God, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We adore you. God, thank you for modeling, letting us see a church that was so devoted to you that they refused to be intimidated. We see that so clearly in Scripture that they lift and raise their voices in prayer, and they speak boldly on your behalf. God, today as people who claim that you have had great impact on our lives, may we take one small step to you.